I'd love to look with you this morning in an Old Testament book. We've been in the Gospel of John for a while, but this morning and for the rest of the year, we're going to be looking at this book in the Old Testament entitled Ruth. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn there. It's closer to the front of the Scriptures in the beginning of the Old Testament. I'm going to read the first um, 18 verses of this chapter to you, uh, but we're really going to be talking about the whole thing. So listen to this story. Perhaps it's familiar to you. I don't know, um, but it's a wonderful story about the amazing, redeeming love of God. So if you would, let's look together at this story, this first chapter of Ruth. What I'm going to read to you is indeed a word that will endure forever. The grass will wither, the flower will fade, but God's word lasts forever. Listen to this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two Moabite wives, these took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Mahlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left with, without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, go. Return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, But Ruth clung to her. And she said, See your sister-in-law that has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again and again for your word. It's not only true, it's what gives life. It's what helps us understand our lives and the world in which we live. It is the word that brings life eternal. It's your word that brings 
Christ. So we pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to see our Savior in this passage, to see ourselves in this passage, and to connect the dots so that we might hear good news this morning, so that we might receive the good news, so that we might be changed and live by that good news this week. We pray this for your glory. We pray it for our good. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The next few weeks, we're going to focus on the book of Ruth, and if you haven't picked up on it, I'll tell you the theme. One thing we're going to look at over the next few weeks, it's the theme of redeeming love. So as we work through this book together for the next number of weeks, you can be thinking about that idea, redeeming love. Now, when you look at the book of Ruth, if you haven't read it before, let me give you just this brief little hook, perhaps. Um, it, Ruth is, is, is not a book that has extraordinary miracles that are going on inside of it. It's not as though that the Red Sea is parted again and people walk through on dry ground. Uh, it's, it's also not a book that has all kinds of graphic visions in it that talk about perhaps future things or, or amazing images of what's going on behind the scenes and what God is doing in the world. It's not that either. This book is a book for people that look around and think about their own lives and realize that life is actually pretty mundane. This book is for the type of people that kind of look at their schedules and look around and think, you know, my life has a pretty consistent routine. When I look around, I just at times feel like my life is fairly mundane. What I'm saying is this. This book is for people that live normal lives in a fallen, broken world. And if you feel as though your life is fairly normal, fairly routine, if you think that your life is fairly mundane, then you might be able to connect really deeply with this book because it's a book that talks about living a normal life in a fallen world. So I want to look at two points with you this morning. The first one is this, blinded by bitterness, and the second is seeing by grace. Blinded by bitterness and seeing by grace. Grace. So let's dive in and think about this story together. First of all, thinking about this idea of blinded by bitterness. Look how this text begins in chapter 1. This whole story occurs during the time of the judges. Now, if you've forgotten about that time or are unfamiliar with that time, let me tell you about it. Judges was the time, the, the book of Judges chronicles for us the time in which God's people have entered into the promised land, but they persistently don't follow what God says. The book of Judges actually lays out for us two truths. One is our sin gets worse and worse and worse. If you read through the book of Judges, you'll see that. Our sin is worse and gets worse and worse. But here's the other truth. God's grace is deeper than our sin. So no matter how bad things get with God's people, God's grace is deeper and more powerful. So that each time when God's people rebel, God's grace goes after them. That goes, God's grace goes after us and brings us back. So even though the book of Judges is somewhat of a dark time in the history of God's people, this story is going on during the time of the Judges. And what we see in particular is that there's a famine in the land. And so God's people are struggling to find something to eat. They're not following what God says. So this family of four, 
decides that it's good to leave Jerusalem and to go to Moab and to set up shop there and build a family there because it seems like in Moab there's plenty of food. So Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Mechlon and Chilion, travel to Moab, which is about 50 miles from Jerusalem. And they go there and they build a family. The text even indicates that they stayed there for 10 years. And after 10 years, they hear that food is now available and and there's plenty of food back in Jerusalem. And so they decide they're going to return to Jerusalem after living there for 10 years. Except a lot has happened in this 10 years. Did you catch some of the things that went on during those 10 years? Let me just briefly highlight some of them for you. Naomi, the wife has lost her husband in 10 years. She has lost her two sons in 10 years. you imagine that? If you look back over a difficult decade of your life, perhaps you can sense and understand loss too. Here's a woman who's lost, in a sense, everything. And she has decided it's time for me to return to Jerusalem because there's food there. She spent a lot of time by gravesides over the last 10 years. And in the ancient world, a woman without a husband, a woman without sons, she is the most marginalized person in society. And she decides, I'm going to go back. And you know who's with her, if you remember the story a little bit, her two daughter-in-laws. Ruth is with her, Orpah is with her. And the text tells us that they started to return to Jerusalem. Naomi is traveling with Ruth. Naomi is traveling with Orpah. And as they are on the way, they're journeying back to Jerusalem. And somewhere along the way, she stops, Naomi does. And she looks at her daughter-in-laws and she says, you all need to not follow and go with me. You all need to go back to your land. You need to go back to Moab. You need to go back to your people. She tells them, it's, it's not good that you're with me. I, I'm in a worse position than you are. This is what Naomi says to Ruth and to Orpah. I am in a worse position than you. I can't get married. I can't have children. I'm not returning to Jerusalem because I have a big family that can take care of me. There is nothing that I can do. What do you want to do, Orpah? What do you want to do, Ruth? If I, had, if, I was, if I was with child today and that child happened to be a son, would you want to wait for that son in order to marry him? You all need to go back to your people. Go back to your homeland. Because if you go back, you have a chance of being married. Not only that, but you have a chance of staying in your father and mother's house and you can be provided for, go back to what is familiar. Well, Naomi lays all of that out for Orpah and Ruth. And what's interesting is, and I, maybe we, let's dive in here. We need to, let's try to make really clear what is going on with Naomi. She tells them to go back. Um, if you look at verse 20 and 21, if you have a copy of the scriptures, This is where Naomi makes it crystal clear what's going on. This is what she says. In essence, she says, 10 years ago, 
I left Jerusalem full, and now I am completely empty. She says, God has brought this calamity upon me. And she even says in verse 20 and 21, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Meaning, Naomi has the hint of communicating this idea of sweetness, but Mara means bitter. Naomi is saying, ladies, go back. Go back. God has done these things to me, and don't think of me as Naomi anymore. Think of me as a bitter person. My life has been nothing but bitterness. Now here's a sidebar. Make no mistake about it, Naomi was right. God was superintending everything that was going on in her life, everything. And when I say superintending, I'm not saying that God caused these things to happen. But God was superintending everything that happened in her life, everything. And when you think about what is going on when someone suffers and what is going on when we go through adversity... If we think, it is very unhelpful to think that God is not in control. It is very unhelpful to live as if God is not in control when these things happen. As a matter of fact, if we go through suffering and adversity, it is absolutely hopeless if we think that Satan is the one who's actually in control of these things. If that's true, if Satan's in control, we are hopeless. And even though this may be a really hard thing to take in, even if it may be very difficult to take in the reality that God is superintending, it is far worse to think that he can't do anything about it. It's far worse to think no matter what's going on, God can't do anything. He's unable to do a thing about my situation. That's far worse. You see, whenever you contemplate and whenever you go through suffering, whenever I go through suffering, whenever we go through adversity, we need to remember three things. And this is a sidebar, and then we're going to come back to Naomi, okay? I just reading through this passage, felt like this is a really important thing to hone in on. Three things. If you are going through suffering, you know someone who's suffering. If, you're going, if you are going through adversity or you know someone who's going through adversity, think of these three things. Number one, it's okay to be upset. If you are suffering and if you are going through enormous amount of affliction, it is okay to be upset. You don't have to pretend, as if, to pretend like you're happy. And as you go through affliction and suffering, you don't have to try to white-knuckle your way through it. It is okay to grieve. It is okay to be upset. It's okay to be not okay when you're going through adversity. Here's number two. No one escapes this. No one escapes suffering, and no one escapes adversity. No one. It's coming for all of us. If you haven't faced it, you will. If you don't know anyone in your life who's been through it, you will. Suffering and adversity are part of living in a broken world. You can't escape it. 
And I don't say that as a threat. I say that just because it's true. Here's the third thing. God is at work through suffering and adversity. God is at work. God has a plan for what is going on through our adversity and through suffering. God is at work. He will redeem everything that we endure. Our suffering, the adversity that we go through, it's not meaningless. God is working something much greater through our suffering and through adversity. Don't ever forget those three things. Keep them in mind. Wrestle with them. Think about them. Especially when you know friends, family, co-workers, neighbors that are going through difficult times. You can give people space to be upset. You can give people space to understand that no one escapes this. You can also think about ways in which God potentially, at the right time, you can communicate. He's doing something glorious here, as hard as it may be. All right, so let's make this really clear what's going on inside Naomi. When she says these things about, I left Jerusalem full and now I'm empty. When she says these things to Orpah and Ruth about going back home, she even, she even goes over the top and says things, go back to your family, even go back to your gods. And I want you to understand, I don't think Naomi is quitting here. I don't think she's throwing in the towel. I think what's going on with Naomi is this. Well, let me say this first. It's not as though her life is ripping at the seams, ripping apart at the seams. That's already happened. She is thinking about what her life will look like in the future. Maybe I can say it to you this way. She is thinking about life after the life she wanted. She is expressing what life after the life she thought she was going to have didn't happen. She is thinking about and wrestling with what life looks like after the life she expected God to give her. She's not being dishonest. She's not lying. She's not abandoning her faith. It's just complicated. Can't you relate to that? We all can, can't we? We all can relate to this. We all know what this is like. She is blinded by bitterness. Now let's think about seeing by grace. Because in the midst of Naomi saying these things, in the midst of Orpah going another direction, going back to her people, Ruth does something else, doesn't she? If you look in verse 16 and 17 in particular, look at what Ruth says. Ruth responds to what Naomi tells her to do. Naomi says, Ruth, you need to go back. And Ruth says no. When Orpah kisses her and says goodbye, Ruth clings to Naomi. Remember that? She clings to Naomi. She even says this. Think about verse 16 and 17. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Do you see what is happening with Ruth? This is a confession. This is a profession of faith. She has grown up in a culture and in a place in which God was not known. The living God of the Bible was not worshipped and adored. And this is Ruth saying to Naomi, no, I want your God. She is understanding because inevitably she has been taught over these past 10 years and heard more and more stories about how God had loved people. And Ruth had heard those stories inevitably, and here she is taking the language from the history of God's people and saying, oh, that, I, those ideas define me. I want God to be my God. And more, I want to be with his people. Do you realize what a genuine and true, from the heart, confession of faith is? It's when you say, I want the God of the Scriptures. And it's when you say, I therefore belong to his people. It's not just me and God individually, although our claiming God as my God is very personal. It's also corporate. It means we also belong to a people, a congregation. This is what Ruth is saying. I want the God of grace. I want the God who has watched over his people and provided and redeemed and forgiven and brought back from the brink of disaster. I want that God. That God defines who I am. That God gives me an identity. And that God means that I have a people. I belong. Even to the point of death. So that I want to be buried with God's people. On this side of the cross, we get to say as well, yes, and you will also be raised with them, right? Here you have Ruth saying, I want your God, Naomi. He's mine. And the other side of that coin is not just professing and expressing her faith and giving herself to the God of the Scriptures and receiving all that he says that she is, forgiving her, making her righteous. It's not only that. It's also, think about what she is leaving. It's not just that she's believing something. She is walking away from something else, right? We call that repentance. She is leaving her people. She is leaving her gods. She is leaving what she has known. That's what it means to follow God. Excuse me. That's what it means to follow God all of our lives. That we continue to claim him as our God. We continue to live with his people, and we walk away from things that displease him. We walk away from thoughts that are not God's thoughts. We stop doing things that he tells us not to do, all by his grace. But we continually repent and believe and follow him. That's exactly what she is doing. Now, What's so interesting is when you think about how in the world did this happen? How in the world did Ruth come to this point? How in the world did this happen? I mean, Naomi is pushing her away, right? 
Naomi is saying, go back to your people, go back to your gods, go back to your mother and father's house. How in the world does this happen? It's not as though Naomi is saying, let me tell you how great God has been to me. She's just been talking about how all this calamitous stuff has happened. It's not as though she's saying, Ruth, let me tell you how gracious God is. And that's not what she's saying. And in the midst of that, I don't know how in the world this works out other than to say this to you. It is by grace. And beloved, this is so freeing and so encouraging because like we've talked about, it's not as though Naomi was lying in things that she was saying. And in spite of us at times, God uses our lives. Isn't that amazing? Here is Naomi telling Ruth, nope, go back, go back to your gods, and God is saving Ruth in spite of what she might have heard from Naomi. I don't know how in the world this works out other than just to say this is evidence that life with God is completely, purely by grace. God is working. Even in the midst of this darkness, even through what Naomi is saying, God is spreading his glory. All right, so here are applications. I have three applications for you to think about and wrestle with. Here's application number one. It seems like when you read this chapter that God is wanting us to acknowledge and deal with our bitterness. It's application number one. That we need to acknowledge and deal with our bitterness. Do you know why Naomi was so bitter? This is why she was bitter. Because she constantly evaluated God and her life based on her expectations. She had an agenda for God. She already had in her mind what she thought God should be doing in her life. And therefore, she was bitter because God was not meeting her expectations. She had a plan for God, for her. And when God didn't work that out the way she wanted, she was bitter. Just imagine, if you will, what Naomi could say, what she could see, what she could identify, what she could say if she wasn't bitter. She could have rejoiced that Ruth had come to faith. She could have acknowledged that God was still at work in the midst of this really difficult time in her life. She could acknowledge or recognize or see that even in dark times, personally, but also For all of God's people, God was still advancing his purposes. If Naomi wasn't so bitter, do you know what else she could see? That because of Ruth, God was providing for Naomi. And she couldn't even see it. And here's a spoiler alert. If she wasn't so bitter, she could understand that God was moving the world toward Jesus. But she couldn't because she was so bitter. It seems to me that this text is wanting us to identify and deal with our bitterness. Here's a second application. We should be outward facing. When you think about Ruth, 
She's thinking about other people. When you think about Ruth, she's not thinking about herself. She is even willing to get out of her comfort zone. She's willing to leave her people. She is willing to think about others. She is even willing to sacrifice for other people. Ruth is showing us that we should be other-centered, if you will, not self-centered, not living our lives and making decisions for ourselves, but thinking about others. And here's the third application, it seems to me, is that, I don't know how other way to say this, John Paul, John Paul and I talked about this, and, and the way he worded this, I can't even improve upon, because it just rung true. We need to get out of the way of ourselves. <laughs> Naomi was so wrapped up with herself. She couldn't get out of her own way. All she could think about was the reality that her circumstances dominated everything. But when she looked out, all she saw was her circumstances. They were not what she wanted, and therefore, she was wrapped up in her own head. She was bitter. She was blinded by bitterness. So that's the third application, get out of our own way. All right, so here's where I need your help. You ready? I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and I really do want you to answer. What is going to give you and me the power to identify our bitterness and deal with it? What is going to give us the power to become outward-facing and what is it that's going to give us the power to get out of our own way? And let me ask it this way, just to tip my hat to you so I make it crystal clear. Who is going to enable us to do this? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father. I don't want you to hear these applications is, now go do them. I want you to understand that when God tells us to do something, we have to connect everything to Jesus. Does that make sense? I don't want you to leave here and think, here's my checklist of what I got to do now. Therefore, I just need to work harder. I want you to understand how Jesus has to be the center, the driving force for everything. That we can't deal with our bitterness apart from Jesus. We can't become outward-facing apart from his power. We can't get out of our own way apart from his death and resurrection. So, beloved, let's find Jesus in this chapter 1. Can we do that? Will you stay with me? Let's find Jesus here. I, took this, I got this idea through one of the guys I read this week, so I'm going to share it with you because I could not come up with all of this by myself. Think about Naomi and Ruth. Let's find Jesus. When Naomi tells Ruth to go back, here's one place we can find Jesus. Don't you think at some level, Ruth was thinking in her own mind, in her own heart, you know, if I keep doing what I'm doing, Ruth would think, if I keep doing what I'm doing, Naomi's life is over. Humanly speaking, her life is over. Ruth had to be in her heart thinking, I need to give my life away so that Naomi possibly can live. 
So Ruth decided, I've got to leave my father's house. I've got to leave what's familiar. I've got to leave my life of potential ease. I've got to take on a hard existence. I've got to go back to Jerusalem where I don't know anyone, and I've got to be willing to be marginalized. I have got to be willing to be an outsider. I've got to serve Naomi. And I will go to a place where I'll be rejected and despised. Does that sound like someone to you? Ruth is the shadow. Jesus is the reality. Jesus left his father's house to give himself for you and for me. So that we would give our lives to God and to others. Beloved, this whole story is about God's redeeming love. And this chapter tells us that redeeming love is saturated with grace. It was grace that changed Ruth. And it's grace that gave us Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. This story is so profound and how it shows us, perhaps in new ways, the glory of the Savior that's to come. Thank you for making so vivid and clear what you would ultimately do for us, Jesus, and leaving your Father's house and being willing to be despised and rejected, to die for us, to live for us, that we might receive your power and live in a way that's patterned after you. So help us to continue to repent and believe Help us to deal with our bitterness. Help us to be more outward facing. Help us to learn how to get out of our own way as we see you more and more. For your glory, amen. If you would please.